In a world where magic is controlled by law and government, mages are both coddled and persecuted. Corey Monroe knows she isn't a mage, and her best friend is. Reality isn't always what you know. If you are looking for an urban fantasy with found family, an education-based magic system, and evolving storylines, try My Luck by Mel Todd, book one in the Twisted Luck series, available exclusively on Amazon. Welcome to The Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 1035. Today we hear from Herb. Who asks, How do you write dialogue that is formal, but not archaic? I'm thinking Jack Vance's Dying Earth stories, or Babylon 5. I know for the latter, just the use of full names created a huge difference in feel. Oh, God. In related questions, tomorrow we're going to be discussing the meaning of life and the existence of God. Um, <laughs> the, uh, this is a really tough question to answer because there's it you get you just got to develop a feel for it and I really hate to say that um, formal can sound archaic because formalities uh, tend to remain static long after the fashions that built them change but the point and nature of formality is to provide a social lubricant that um, reinforces the hierarchy involved in a given situation while allowing the players to work within its constraints without being too encumbered. The point of, and so this is a thing that's hard for Americans to get, and I include myself in this, because we don't like hierarchies. We think hierarchies are bullshit. Every man is the king of his own castle. Every woman is the queen of her own domain. And that's the way it should be. Because we like being in charge of ourselves. Or at least we like imagining we're in charge of ourselves. Most of us, when given the option, will quickly hand that power off to somebody else and then pretend that we're still in charge because we gave that power away. But that's a whole other uh conversation. No politics. No politics, right. Um, <laughs> the basic intellectual orientation of most Americans is fairly flat where hierarchy is concerned. And this is a kind of a new thing since the 60s. Um, because before that, there were always hierarchies, even though there was also this individualistic spirit. The idea of no hierarchies you find in John Lennon's song, Imagine... Everything is sort of leveled to one layer, and that the the idea is that the leveling of hierarchies will um, remove conflict. Now, historically speaking, this is kind of the opposite of the truth. Usually, most conflict, especially at higher levels um, between uh, elites who are competing for position and between um, principalities that are competing for resources and power on the international stage. Most conflict is born from competition between people of equal rank. So 
conflict actually comes from the flattening of ranks. And you can see this in American history, where um, the most violent and uh, wild and fun places in the United States, in through all our history, have been places that are very freewheeling and anarchic and non-hierarchical. Places like old San Francisco. And by old San Francisco, I mean like the 1890s through the 1930s. Um, places like the Wild West, like uh, the Alaskan Gold Rush, like the post-Civil War South, like the Ohio Valley. And by post-Civil War, I mean like immediately during Reconstruction. Places like the Ohio Valley after the uh, initial westward expansion and the opening of the Erie Canal. The frontier is very violent. Uh, it's not as violent as our movies make it out to be, but it's a very violent place. And the reason it's violent is that the people who are coming into conflict are of equal social rank. So the only way to resolve a conflict between two people of equal social rank is with direct confrontation, and sometimes that confrontation turns violent. Um, same reason you get gang warfare and that sort of thing. Now, what humans have historically done, humans are not the only species. This invention goes all the way back to, um, to fish and, uh, and, uh, and reptiles. What animals on Earth have done in order to solve the problem of conflict caused by social flatness is to develop hierarchies. In a hierarchy, the person with the higher rank wins by default unless there is some extraordinary circumstance. So person B, being of lower rank, comes into conflict with person A, presumptively wins unless person B can persuade, seduce, bribe, or depose. You see this in all animals, and you see it especially in social animals. And the reason this happens is because it reduces conflict overall. And one of the things that you'll see if you look across hierarchies um, in social animals is that the more tyrannical the, pe the beings with higher ranks are, the less long they tend to last. Because no creature likes being ruled tyrannically. So... Um, over the long shake, the uh, leaders that do best are the ones that are benevolent, the ones that, without deferring to their underlings, raise their underlings up and give them a feeling of privilege, um, make sure their needs are met, that kind of thing. It's the, the old military concept of the leader eats last. So, <clears throat> all of that to say that the purpose of formality is to make it easy to navigate a hierarchy. So, in some cases in history, this takes the form of sumptuary laws, which basically are dress codes for different people of different social classes and ranks. Even where there aren't sumptuary laws, there's always, always modes of address that delineate the relationship between the people who are speaking. So if you have a, uh, say for example on Battle of Babylon 5, you have a military governor talking to an ambassador. Those are people with different social ranks and overlapping areas of power that often come into conflict. And so by addressing each other by their titles, they are continually reminding themselves and each other of the power they each possess and the area of potential conflict that exists where those circles of power cross over into a Venn diagram overlap. 
So the trick with writing formal language in a formal society is to know the rules of the hierarchy navigation of that culture. And you structure... I'm assuming you're talking about science fiction because you're talking about not wanting to be archaic. Um, so you're talking about societies that you invent. What you want to do is you want to understand the social structure of that society, the strictures that each of your characters are under, and how the language has evolved to allow them to navigate the different potential conflicting relationships that they have to navigate in order to get through their day. That's the basic trick. You can make it sound as archaic as you like, or as unarchaic as you like, although any degree of formality on an American ear will sound a little bit archaic, unless it's military formality, because that's the kind of formality that Americans are used to hearing. But when you're talking about formal language, that's what it's about. It's not about using, say, um, biblical quotations or long allusions to past epic stories or lots of polysyllabics, although it can involve a lot of circumlocution. This is um, the other aspect of formality is that it allows people to talk about taboo subjects without talking about taboo subjects. So if you know what the social taboos are, like courting language, we see a, a diminished form of this in the way that um, in the way that people who are older than about thirty flirt. Under thirty, everything's gotten radically flattened because of the internet and everyone. And rather than saying, "Hey, you want to come up for a drink? Would you like to have a cup of coffee?" Oh, I've got this great book that I should show you. Rather than just going home, you should come up to my room. I'll show you this book. That's code for. I would like to get us one step closer to having sex, and if you say yes, then you are assenting to my wanting to get us one step closer to having sex. Younger than 30, there's a broad, uh, a broad uh, swath of them that are like, hey, I want to have sex. Oh, I do too. Let's go find a room. Um, hookup culture. It tends to be very, very uh, flat and unpretentious that way, which takes away the most important element of formal circumlocution, which is plausible deniability. Uh, plausible deniability allows the different parties to a conversation to save face when attempting to negotiate something that they don't want to talk about directly. Could be a sexual encounter, could be um, an illicit uh, trade, you know, black market type of deal, could be uh, spies exchanging information, could be ambassadors. You talk about Babylon 5, think about Lanier and Veer sitting at the bar talking about their experiences with each other mm. without talking to each other. They're not just sharing experiences. They are back-channeling to each other's governments things that they want to make sure the other government knows. And if on the second or third watching, you can start to pick apart what's going on in the silences between the words that um, allows each of them to get a better beat on what's going on with the other government. Um, that's the other major aspect of formality is uh, formal language allows for coded communication that allows parties to save face, that allows the discussion of taboo topics, that allows for the negotiation of sensitive and potentially blackmailable or criminal activities. In 
diplomacy, it allows for doing these kinds of things. It, it allows you to get close to topics that could provoke a war without committing yourself diplomatically to a position that would necessitate provoking a war. And that's why whenever you hear uh, news reporting on a summit or whatnot, and a particular ambassador or envoy is unusually direct, that makes news. It's because the one thing you do not do in a summit, especially an open session in the presence of the media, is speak directly. It seems weird if you've not, mo if you've not moved in incredibly hierarchical societies where any conflict that is realized can be devastating. But what happens is that the more dangerous the encounter is for whatever reason, the more careful and indirect the language is, the more effort there is to allow each party to look like a hero, both to their own people and to themselves. Because by doing that, you um, create an atmosphere of conviviality that increases the likelihood that you're going to build trust and get something done. So, which is, um, if you go back and watch, say, the History of Rock and Roll documentary series that was done in the late 90s and the early 2000s, really great series, but one of the hilarious things you see is all these rock musicians coming into these board meetings with studio executives and record company executives and just being themselves. And it causes no end of problems because at the time, those businesses were very formal because the potential for lawsuits that cost billions of dollars even at that time was non-zero. And so these negotiations tended to be very, very formal. And for this little window of time, the, um, the hippies and the, um, and the prog rock guys and the early heavy metal guys could come in and behave like gonzo nutters and scare the shit out of the record company executives who just shoved money at them to get them out of the room. Now, once the generation turned over, you got a new, um, a new set of executives that came up that were a lot more savvy than that and knew how to play the game back. But um, a strategic violation of formality can also be very, very useful. But again, it's strategy. It's about navigating hierarchies and um, in a way that minimizes the potential for conflict and uh, offense. And the hierarchies are there in the first place to minimize the potential for conflict. Because anarchy, which I love, is a very dangerous way to live. Um, you have to develop some very, very good interpersonal skills to survive well in an anarchic situation. And most people, frankly, can't be f***ing bothered. Much, much easier to outsource at least some of that burden to a social contract that's uh, based around customs that let everybody know what's going on without having to bootstrap every relationship from the ground up every time you get involved in a conversation. So I hope that has answered your question in a way that is useful. If it hasn't, feel free to send a follow-up. Thank you very much, Herb, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. 
The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions, Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you. Dateline. The future. Humankind stretches out to the stars. Maybe they go on generation ships. Maybe they live on space stations. Maybe terraforming bases dominate the worlds of tomorrow. In these hostile places, only two things seem certain. With people come conflicts. And in manufactured environments, the wrong kind of conflict will damage your air supply. So forget regular guns, needle lasers, ray guns, and anything else that can screw up your habitat. I want stories where the violence and conflict depend on ingeniously adapting ancient weapons to future environments, where this technological shift solves old social problems and creates new ones, and where cultures and religions arise around those weapons and provide them contexts, both accepted and outlaw, within their societies. Give me swashbucklers, knife fighters, booby trappers, baton wielders, pirates, mafiosos, Robin Hoods, cops, priests, robbers, fugitives, and assassins. Give me swords in space. This is a paying market. Submit your story to editor at everydaynovelist.com. Be sure to use the phrase swords in space in the subject line. 8,000 words maximum, 2,000 words minimum. See you on the slush pot.